Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to Awakening Aphrodite. I am your hostess, Amy Fournier. The show is all about helping you to be inspired in mind, body, and spirit and live a more fit, healthy, and balanced life. We also dig into balancing your masculine and feminine energy, tapping into your true source of power, your intuition, and being more of your true, authentic self. I am really excited for today's show because we have a wonderful, very special guest, Kia Baker. Kia Baker is a success coach and quite an accomplished one at that. And she is the hostess of not one, but two podcasts. One is called Hot Topics, which she will tell us about. And the other one is the Female Veterans Podcast. This podcast is about raising awareness of the unique issues facing female veterans and allow their stories to be heard, to help empower them, help empower the listener, and to help heal both the speaker and the listener. It's a very, very powerful mission that she is on. And as one female entrepreneur to another, one survivor to another, I am truly honored to have her on the show. So welcome, Kia. Thank you so much for having me. I'm truly honored to be here. Awesome. Okay, so Kia, can you tell us a little bit about your background? What is your story? Well, absolutely. I was born in Philadelphia. I grew up in Hershey, Pennsylvania in private school. Um, From there, I left to the military straight away to the Navy. I spent five years on active duty, three years in active reserve. And then I left to pursue a career in corporate America, which I did. Uh, until I left it to become a stay-at-home mom. And um, I did that career while I finished my degrees, um, earning my MBA in finance and accounting. And then um, I decided about three years ago that I was ready to go back to work. Um, I had a major life change and it forced me out of my comfort zone. And I decided, well, now I'm going to do this. And things just sort of fell into place like dominoes. And here I am. Can you share with us what the major life changes? It's now, now you got us curious, unless it's too, <laughs> unless it's too personal. You could just say no, it was a no, personal absolutely. thing. No, absolutely. I share it all the time because I hope that it will help people. Um, I actually got a divorce. I actually, what it was, was I realized that my marriage of 13 years had to end. And it was, and I was a stay-at-home mom of two boys and my life was being a homemaker and managing my health issues that I acquired while serving. And, um, and then I needed to change. I needed to go back to work and to take care of my children myself. So during that process, um, I realized that the thing that was most important to me was speaking out about female veterans issues. And I wanted to find ways to help female veterans. So um, I met with a a business mentor who became my friend. And um, she actually suggested that um, that I work with female veterans because I was so passionate about it. And it wasn't even something that I thought about doing in an official capacity, because it was something that I I had been doing since for the last 20 years, just on my own. From the time that I left the military 
you know, when I left the military, I will say I was on top of the world. Um, I was not going to be a career sailor. I knew that it was a way for me to earn money to go to college because I came from a lower income family. I had been accepted into an amazing private school. So it gave me a different perspective on life from growing up in the inner city. And I knew that I wanted to go to university. So to do that, the military, my mom said, would give me a firm foundation for life as well as college money. And she was right about both of those things. But I didn't have the personality type for military service. Like I'm too much of a free spirit, too much of a hippie, so to speak. And um, I definitely have a mind, I don't know, that resisted the programming. So I wasn't as programmable as some other people that to adapt to that culture um, and just follow along. So it was difficult. I had a, a kind of a difficult time. So because of that, I was aware that other people had a difficult time serving. So when I got out of the military, I was really, I had, I had gotten sick while serving as well. So I came out unhealthy and um, I had that to deal with. Um, it was super difficult because my illnesses are invisible. So a lot of people didn't understand them. And fibromyalgia was very, very new in the late 90s. So a lot of people didn't understand that, let alone chronic fatigue, let, let alone Epstein-Barr virus. So they didn't understand why I would have mono over and over and over again, right? And so there was a lot to have to deal with. And even though I was so excited to launch into a corporate career, um, three years after I got out of the military, I was, um, I was about to be homeless. I, was, I had been laid off from my job. And my husband of five years um, left me pen penniless. So I was at a crossroads in my life there. And I had people come through and support me and help me. And once I got on my feet, I turned around to pay it back. And I gave it or pay it forward maybe <laughs> to other veterans who were struggling and down on their luck. And so it's just been a part of who I am and a part of my life for many years. And when I had another marriage collapse, which you can imagine was very devastating um, and cataclysmic almost, an absolute life changer. And this time I had kids. I, um, I knew that I needed to do something more, that I had something more to give. And when my business mentor, um, Kelly from Eris, um, her company is called Eris, find it at eris.com. She helps empower women entrepreneurs. Um, she, we actually, it's a funny story. We were actually in Los Angeles and um, we were talking about sort of making strategies for the things that I wanted to do, organizing my plan, so to speak. And um, she said, let's go feed some veterans. There's a lot of homeless in Los Angeles. Let's just go right now, get some food, find some female veterans and feed them. So I said, well, we got to find them. So let's contact our, the local vet center because the person who's in charge of that will be able to help. And um, so we went and spoke to Sharon at the vet center in Culver City. And she was amazing. She gave us all this information about female veterans and, um, and how to help them. And then she told me something that I will never forget. She said to me that if I really wanted to empower female veterans, that I needed to give them a voice. 
because giving them food would help them for that day. But to really do them any real justice, I needed to make people aware because when they go out to do their outreach work, they don't have shoes and coats and things for the women because people, they still perceive veterans as men, even today, even in 2020, they still consider that a veteran is a male. So what the women get is maybe a blanket that is donated or they take what's left after the men, which means clothes and shoes and boots that don't fit. And it was heartbreaking to me. So I decided at that moment, I was gonna speak out about it. And that decision led me to London Real. And it led me to everything that I'm doing today to help female veterans. What a fabulous story, Kia. Thank you. Just I just need to say thank you. Thank you for being you and um, being such an amazing role model for women. Your story, even if it ended right now, is a success story. And um, I can't imagine how many lives you've touched and uh, you probably don't even know it. So thank you so much. Um, what percentage of veterans would you say are women? About a quarter okay. of the services yep. are, mm -hmm. is, are women. Mm -hmm. um, but that's growing exponentially all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so... Um, I, there's, I got so many questions on this military thing. So let's just say stereotypically the military has been known. Now, I've never been in the military, but I'm, <laughs> I guess I'm going by the movies I've watched, but in the little bit that I do know, the military does seem to be stereotypically dominant in its masculine values and its masculine structure, if you will. Um, first of all, Tell me if that's accurate and if it's changing, but most importantly, please share with us what it was like being a female in a masculine world or a masculine valued world. For me, I was lucky for the most part because I landed on a base in a career and I was a hospital corpsman. So I landed in a career, there were a lot of women I landed in on a base with a lot of women. Um, and, but there is a ages old history of it being, you know, a male culture. So it is kind of like a boys club. For example, you have to adapt. You have to adapt. Um, I was 18 and I had a master chief. Now I will tell you that I love that master chief like he was my grandfather. Okay, he was wonderful. And when he retired, I absolutely missed him. But I had adapted. Every single day, he would come into our department and tell a dirty joke. Every single day. I'll never forget it. Now, that could have offended me. It didn't, but it could have offended me, right? It was surely inappropriate for an 18 year old girl to hear a dirty joke from a man nearly three times her age. And a senior, an authority figure. And an authority figure. Now he's never inappropriate towards his behavior, but there were those who were. So you had to keep your head on a swivel, so to speak. You had to be aware, you know, 
And you also had to be aware that the girls who make waves become ostracized. They become targets. They become that girl. So you have to be cautious of your behavior and how you respond and react in every situation. You know, so there were lots of things that happened that were, could be considered inappropriate, you know, that just didn't ruffle my feathers, but to another woman, it would have. So, and we're all different and we all experience it. I actually, I don't know very many women who have not at least witnessed some type of sexual harassment that could be something that could be classified as sexual harassment or something that could be classified as misogynistic. It's part and par for the course. Um, but we're not all ruffled by it, right? We learn to adapt to the culture and to rise above it. Now, what's really, really common is that we have to work harder than the guys for less recognition. It's a story I hear repeated from my guests on my podcast a lot because they get into their field, they work really hard, maybe they're really problem solvers and they, they solve things, they organize things, but they're overlooked. Or the guy gets the credit for it because he's the superior, but she's the one who's really doing all the work, right? And he's just sitting back, but he gets the credit for it. You know, so a lot of times when we go into the military as women, we have to be smarter, we have to work harder, and we have to do better, and we have to do it tough. Right? right. So how do you not lose yourself and survive in that culture? I think it's a lot of who you connect with. Like if you have a strong support group, that's very helpful. But again, a lot of people do lose themselves. In their culture. A lot of women um, sort of lose their femininity and they have to readapt to that after they get out, you know, or they lose themselves or they go into a direction that they didn't expect to go into, you know. Um, but I think that having a strong sense of self and having a good support system is one way to really help you through. It's how I got through. Uh, I got through by um, learning to adapt to my surroundings, to developing a thick skin. And I think that's what a lot of us females do. We develop a thick skin. We develop, um, we're not fragile. We don't get really sensitive to certain things. Our humor becomes darker. Um, we become a little desensitized to a lot of things that other people wouldn't be, but we, we make it through. And, and I served in peacetime. I'm not even about to talk about what you go through during a wartime situation as a female. I can't even imagine. How long did you serve? Eight years in total, five years in active reserve, or five years active duty, three years in active reserve. So do you regret it? Never a day in my life. I'm so proud of my service. I had a difficult journey in the military. Absolutely. And um, I witnessed a lot of things. It kind of incredibly 
cleared me of any naivete, of any idealism. Um, the experience taught me so much about myself, about other people, about human nature, about the establishment, about the government, about how things run, about how the world really is at a really, really young age. And it was hard, was hard to experience and go through, but I, I went through it and I came through it and I ended my career honorably. And believe me, there were some times that I didn't think that was gonna happen. And, um, and I'm so proud of it. I'm so proud of it. I will tell you, I bleed blue. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I, I can't tell you how many people I know that have served and they go in with the idealism and the love of country and serving the country and because they love America and they come out disillusioned, you know, they come out like, wow, <laughs> kind of hate to say it, but almost on the other side of like, wow, this government is uh, not at all what I thought it was. And we're fighting wars that we think they're for one reason, but they're really for another reason. And um, I, I hear that more often than not, sorry to say. Yes, it is very common, especially because I do a lot of work with women who have survived um, military sexual trauma. Mm -hmm. um, and, and there are men who survive it as well, about one in 100 uh, um, men. And that may seem small, but when you realize there's so many more men in the military than women, you realize that it quickly adds up. And there's more than that. There, I often say that along with um, misogyny and sexual harassment, I really don't know many people who have not at least witnessed some type of uh, sexual harassment or, or um, bullying or homophobia or racism as well. I mean, it's all there. And um, so a lot of times when people come out, and these are oftentimes a lot of the people I've helped over the last 20 some years since I got out, um, are people who have um, felt what they experienced to be some type of injustice while serving. And it has done damage to them mentally, emotionally, and sometimes physically with their health. Um, and so, or even just, not even that, just the experience of wartime and what that does to a person with PTSD and all of that. So a lot of people do come out of the military and they become sort of, I say, anti-establishment, but they go so far in the other direction where they don't, they don't even want to say they're a veteran. They don't want to even talk about their military service. They, they don't, want to use any benefits from the government. They don't want to use any services that are there for them because they are just so um, against all of it because of whatever they saw or witnessed. And so it's, it's a very, very common thing. Yeah, unfortunately, I do hear it a lot too. So what would you say personally, the, 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 the top things that you got out of your service and then the probably the most negative things that happened to you because of your service? The people I met, the people I met hands down, I have many of them, we're still good friends today. And um, I have amazing memories. I had so much fun. I mean, you gotta, you know, I had my first apartment um, at 19 um, and I lived on my own and I supported myself. I mean, many kids were going to college parties and, and not going to class and like doing all these things. And um, I was going to Navy parties and having my own place in a car and in, Going to the Navy for me during peacetime, it was like, um, it was such a great experience 
experience because I, I did go in at the end of Desert Storm. So technically I'm a combat veteran, but I didn't see action. Okay. So for me, it was more like having a job. Like I put on the uniform, yes, every morning. I would go into work. I did my job. I'd left at the end of the day. I went back to my apartment. It was like I resumed being a civilian, but I had to be much more mindful because the military has their own laws, the UCMJ. So we have our own conduct and our own legal system and everything. So you have to make sure you're abiding those laws. But um, you are property your property. You're not a human anymore. You don't have any human rights anymore. You're property of the government. So you have to act accordingly. Right. And um, so for me, it was brilliant. I got to be on my own at, you know, 19 years old. I had a job. I had a car. I had my friends. I went and partied and had a blast, you know, and actually my time in the military was amazing until the day that it wasn't. And then till the day I started to realize what potential outcomes could be. And then I made the changes I needed to make in order to survive it. And so um, I, my biggest takeaway from the military uh, was that feeling of camaraderie that, um, that you get from your military brothers and sisters. And um, a lot of the skills that I have, like I learn very, very quickly, very quickly. You, there's no other way to learn when you're in the military. You have to sometimes learn on the fly and retain that information and then do the job and then do the job right. I learned how to work in a team, how to lead a team, how to be mission focused, how to pay attention to details. Like, you know, there's infinite, um, infinite beautiful things that I learned from serving. And of course, it always comes back down to the people. Even now, I meet a veteran and we're like family. We learned that we're both in the military. It doesn't matter race, religion, anything, anything, right? It doesn't matter. You're a veteran. You served. I served. We're family. And the negative things? Well, I would say that it's the same kind of as in life. It's not always fair. Good doesn't always win. And the good, the good people, the nice people sometimes lose. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's not always just, it's not always right. Um, and sometimes you're gonna have to do things you don't wanna do. Sometimes you, you, you are gonna have to do things that you might even find to be morally uh, reprehensible but you have to follow your orders. And for me, that was the thing that meant that I couldn't stay in the military. Would having that requirement result in kind of like a disconnect or a disassociation with you or for people to survive? You mentioned making the changes necessary to survive. Um, would that include like kind of disassociating? I would imagine some people, if they don't have the psychological wherewithal they might kind of split a little bit you know absolutely I mean, that's dangerous i, I saw i saw lots of people go a bit nuts in mm -hmm. the military lots and lots of people i mean beginning in boot camp i was absolutely stunned but you'd see these massive guys just come apart in boot camp like and you'd just be shock to your core because you think this dude he looks like he could like take on the world he's muscular awesome. he's big he's tall he like looks like he's so strong and there he is he's broken 
and he's like, and he's, you know, he's going to have to be kicked out because he can't take it, you know? And it just, it's something to witness something like that. But I, but even through the course, in fact, um, my, my first husband that I met in military, of course, married young, it happens all the time when you're serving that, um, you, you meet young and you marry, um, because you're away from home, you know? Mm -hmm. And so my first husband actually worked on the psych and he actually was like a counselor, like a, almost like a therapist, um, for people in, but there was such a huge stigma to going to psych, but when so many people could really use the support. I would think it's the most important area. It's all our mindset, right? I mean, our mindset controls everything. It's all the frame that the story that you put behind what's happening to you. So Tell us the stories of some of these women that you interview on your podcast. Like what are their common threads? Are there, what are the ones there? I'm sure there's so many, but what are the ones that have really touched you the most or the ones obviously you want to share with the civilian audience that's listening? There are so many, there are so many, but I want to, make it clear that as a woman, when you go into the military, you understand that your life could be in danger. You understand that you signed up for the job. That means if you, you are putting your life on the line for your country, right? To protect the freedoms that we all enjoy. But what you don't expect when you go into the military is to be at risk from your brothers at arms. So to me, the military sexual trauma stories, there's so many of them. It's alarming. It's really alarming. And um, there are so many of them I actually am releasing one this weekend. Um, Danique, she was assaulted twice. She served, she's a shipmate for me. She was a Navy girl and she was a master of arms, which is military police. And the perpetrators were in her chain of command. So do you understand what that means? The police are the ones who are assaulting women. That just sticks with me. And she wasn't assaulted once, but twice, right? Once she reported, you know, once she tried to report. And a lot of women don't report because of the hazing and bullying that happens to them. Um, Another story, my, my friend, Christina, she's the one that I will literally never forget. And if you don't know about burn pits, please take the time. There's an organization um, called burnpits360.org. You can check out to learn more about burn pits. But what happens is um, after 9-11 and Balad is where she was stationed, she, they burn garbage, they burn everything. So these big pits of everything's burning Those carcinogens are going into the air, obviously, and everyone's breathing them in. Now, for a long period of time, 
there was denial about the effects of this on the health of soldiers. Now there's a registry, but I, it's my understanding that still not enough is being done. So awareness needs to be created. And until the mass public is aware that this is happening and takes an interest, nothing really is going to be done. Until people start to write in to their senators and their legislators to say, hey, why are so many people getting raped? Why are so many women being raped in the military? But it is, it's one in four, one in four women, right? Wow. And those are old numbers. That's from a year ago. So, I those mean. Are, those are the reported ones too. The, exactly, reported, reported. That's, that's like, if you think of your mom, your sister, your aunt, or your daughter, one of them was raped in the military. Yeah. Right? Or would be. It's a good way to frame it. So, you when you think of it that way, that's just way too many, right? So we have to, we have to do something. I mean, um, with my friend, Christina, she was assaulted. Um, she was drugged and assaulted. And then she quickly went from the survivor to a perpetrator accused of things, saying she made it up, called a liar. The entire base turned on her. They wrote her name in stalls. They bullied her. Her superiors bullied her for trying to get help from outside of her command. Like it just went on and on and on. And then once they finally put her out of the military, because oftentimes these girls get kicked out of the military, right? The girls do. Okay. And um, she went on to end up having to fight and fight and fight for her medical benefits because she was terminated from the military when she started getting sick. And now she's dying. Now she's dying because of, of the burn pits. Cancer. Oh, God. And it's heartbreaking because if they had listened to her, they kept denying it. They kept first she could only get first she couldn't get seen. Then she could only get seen for the for the sexual trauma. Then they wouldn't listen to what she was saying about her lungs. Now, like, and, and it was years of her fighting, and she's still fighting. And she's still with us. She's still fighting. But years and years of her fighting for to get justice and to bring awareness about these burn pits and what they're doing to people, to veterans who served in a time of war after 9-11, they did what they were supposed to do, and now they're getting sick. It's much like Agent Orange. You know, people may be more familiar with that. So if you can equate that, there's a mysterious illnesses, a collection of different symptoms that you get from breathing in these carcinogens that are making our veterans sick. They're presenting with these symptoms and they're dying. Right now, right now. Okay. And it's not being talked about. Did this woman start the burn pits 360.org? No, she didn't, but she's well, very vocal about it. And she and it's an organization that does talk about burn pits and they educate the public about what they do and they try to help veterans as well. So if we donate to burnpits360.org, that might help Christina, you said her name is? Well, we'll help all veterans as well. Okay. But she's Absolutely. she's in that group, right? You're mm -hmm. okay. God, I'm almost speechless. This is uh this is quite sobering, Kia. Um and I'm just really glad that we're taking the time and I can do my part in trying to get the message out there because 
You know, empowerment is about awareness, right? We can't be empowered without being aware of reality. And I truly believe that we all came from one divine source and what affects the one affects the all. And we can't be at our selfish personal best when part of the whole is suffering. And we can't be part of the solution if we're not aware of the problem. You know, and I, and I know, you know, everyone says, you know, you go on a plane and they go, oh, military veterans are allowed to go on first and everybody salutes them when they walk by or, you know, how it is that everybody respects the military and is appreciative of the military. But gosh, the inner story isn't really that pretty. And, and I know there obviously is good parts of it, which you've mentioned. It taught you a lot of leadership skills. It taught you organizational skills. It taught you critical thinking and um, lots of great, great skills. It put you through school and gave you an education. And you had fun when you were 19 with your cool apartment and all that stuff. But, you know, there's a front and a back to everything, right? And um, when people are suffering, I truly believe that others do really want to help, but they can't help if they're not aware. And how heartbreaking for someone to, with good intention, want to serve this country and help protect fellow Americans and fall prey as a victim and maybe even fighting for their own life. And even if they're not fighting for their own life, they're probably suffering bad ramifications of exposure to these burn pits and different in, in any trauma victim anyone who's a trauma victim you're forever changed it doesn't even matter if you go through therapy and you do the forgiveness thing and you're able to do that most I would say most trauma victims are not able to forgive neither the perpetrator or themselves and even if you're able to you're forever changed and I, I just, I, I got, I'm sorry if I'm rambling here, but I, I'm my, I'm, honestly, I'm kind of fighting back tears because this is very uh, upsetting to hear is going on in this day and age and the age that we're all, all supposed to be so liberated and equal and all that. And people are suffering in silence. But, you know, my heart goes out to the people who try but aren't getting the results. If you don't care, whatever, you know, fine. But if you're trying and you really want it, and you know, these people serving out of good intentions, and now this is the reward they get? This is just, this is heartbreaking, Kia. So tell us how we can help oh. in some way. <laughs> so you can always find an organization that supports veterans. There's big ones like the Wounded Warrior Project. Um, and there's smaller ones. Like I work with um, a couple of organizations. I work with the Barbara Giordano Foundation, um, and they help female veterans. So you can always donate there. Or I am on the board of directors for a small not-for-profit called Hope for Veterans. Um, you can find that at hopeforveterans.org. You can donate there. Um, um, Burn Pits 360, of course, check that out. You can donate there and find an organization, you know, that maybe you like equine therapy. There are organizations that do that. There are organizations that do farming. There's all sorts of veterans organizations out there. There's ones that do tiny homes for 
for veterans. So you can find an organization that resonates with you and donate. Now, the other big thing you can do is write to your, your Congress people, write to your senators, write to your legislators and tell them how you feel and what changes you want to see. Tell them, I think it's terrible that women are being assaulted in the military and the way that it's handling, it's being handled. There's a new bill um, dedicated to uh, Vanessa Guillen. It's her bill. She was a, a military uh, service woman who was murdered on base last April. Her body was dismembered and hidden in the woods. Her, the person who assaulted her, she had been being harassed. She did. She told her family she didn't want to report because um, she feared um, consequences, like she feared retaliation. And then she went missing. And her brave family fought and fought and fought to bring awareness, because as you said, awareness is so critical that the story went nationwide and her body was found. Uh, her, the guy who was accused or suspected of it actually committed suicide when the police were approaching and the girl who helped him went to jail. So um, there's a bill in place now to change the way these things are handled so that women are don't have to fear retaliation for reporting. Because if I could tell you how many stories I heard where a woman didn't report or did face horrible, horrible uh, repercussions for reporting, I mean, um, I have another guest, um, her name is Kimberly Bailey. She's one of the um, first, I think the premiere episode of season four of the Female Veterans Podcast is a two-part episode where she was so, um, she was adopted and she never really felt like she had a family until she went to the military and then she was assaulted and she was assaulted by someone who was popular on the base. And when it she turned up pregnant, she had to say something because she didn't want anyone to think that she was um, a low woman, right? Because she was suddenly pregnant. She had no husband. So she had to report what happened to her. And because the guy was popular, everyone turned away from her. The way she tells this story, how she breaks down crying when she's describing how she would walk down the hall and people would turn and walk away when she was coming, the way she describes how she would go into the galley, which is where we go and eat um, in the Navy is what I call it, or the cafeteria. And she would go into the cafeteria to go and eat and um, people would get up from the table that she was gonna sit at, you know, that kind of thing to the point where she felt the only way to get her life back was to abort the baby. And now here's the thing about that story that's even more painful as if it wasn't painful enough. She was a child of rape. Her biological mother had been raped. She would have kept that baby. She would have kept that baby. She gave that baby up because of pressure. And you know what happened when she, after she did it? They dropped the case against the guy. There was no case because there was no evidence anymore, right? And then, so yes, he went free. And then everyone started being friends with her again. Everything went back to normal. That's just the beginning of her story. I can't even get into all of the rest of it. 
you know, but you have to listen to the episode for that. But it gets it gets wor- way worse before it gets better. And now, of course, she's a champion for other survivors. She's in, in created an organization called Invisible Combat, and she helps women survivors. And she's always doing talks on Facebook, on Instagram, all around talking about women veterans issues. And she was very active with the Vanessa Guillen case as well you know, talking to the family, putting out information. Um, Right now, there's Tai Ohu, who was assaulted. And, um, and then later, she had a flashback. And, um, and then there was like an altercation, there's an incident, I will say an incident that occurred with her boyfriend, and the military police had to intervene. She was in a flashback, a PTSD flashback, um, because she never got mental health care after being assaulted. And she languishes in the brig right now for what they're, I guess, calling attempted murder, if I'm correct. Uh, and while her rapist is free, free. And, and, and her boyfriend has also said that she was um, no threat to him, no serious threat to him. But yes, yeah, she's still in the brig in prison that's prison by the way and he and he's free and her rapist the one who assaulted her who she wouldn't be having a a ptsd flashback if if it weren't for is free right now living his best life somewhere so just for people that's post-traumatic stress disorder exactly can you just tell us what tell us more about that what exactly does that present as what type of people are known to have that or be susceptible to post-traumatic stress disorder and again how it presents in the world well anyone who's endured a trauma a traumatic event okay and there it's it, it presents in a lot of different ways um but common ways are um flashbacks it can be pain widespread pain you know it can be feeling fatigued you know, it can be easily startled, you know, it just depends on how it, it has presents itself. And um, oftentimes these people can have anxiety and depression um, in, in addition to it. You know, they can feel frustrated. They be, can become easily short-tempered, easily triggered, you know. And um, there are people who have repeated traumas over and over and over you know, and when they don't seek help for it, um, they, it's very hard to, it can be very hard to live with. So what are the options for recovering from PTSD? I don't think you ever fully recover, but you manage, you manage your PTSD. So I think the first step is finding a really good provider, like a healthcare provider and um, probably a therapist and it's mental health. Also, it's taking care of yourself, like it's wellness, I think. And I think you can manage it holistically, so you don't have to take medication, but for some, medication works. It's just finding what works for you, but seeking that support system, whether holistically or medically, that can help you on your journey. And it is a process. Some people do art therapy, some people work with horses, some people find running. It's finding the journaling, it's finding those things that work for you that bring you inner peace and finding a good support system 
system, sometimes even a good support group. That's why I work with a lot of female veterans organizations um, and we meet in groups and we get together and we support and help each other as often as possible. Well, I'll tell you, there's a lot of scientific evidence that telling your story and commemorating with other people and being heard and being acknowledged and being seen and the receiving empathy that someone else knows how you feel that you're not alone there's a lot of healing that can happen with just telling your story and there's a lot of healing that can happen in hearing someone else tell their story even if you don't tell your story but if their story similar to your story and you hear their story there's a lot of healing that can happen in you because you just just realizing we are not alone you know there's so much pain in the world and emotional and mental suffering comes when we feel like nobody cares no one knows how i feel i'm all by myself i can't tell anybody i can't trust anybody i can't be truly who i am and be accepted and loved unconditionally and there's something wrong with me or i did something wrong i caused this on myself and I'm to blame. Guilt and shame are two of the most damaging emotions vibrationally to our energetic field of any other. And shame more the most, shame more than guilt. But I would say that, again, the work that you're doing with the Female Veterans Podcast and allowing the veteran females to have a platform, a medium to not only connect, but share their truth, share their experience, and take back their narrative, take back their story, put it out there, and receive the help from even, even if it's just you as the hostess, uh, a caring ear that's listening, all the others of thousands of, tens of thousands of people that might be listening, and they'll never know those one, two, three, who knows how many people they might have helped that they're never going to hear the thank you from, but they did help. And that's something, Kia, that you're making possible in bringing healing to the world and that, you know, you, you are a healer and you have had quite a journey, quite a, a roadmap of a journey. And, uh, and I've told you many times how, you know, admiring of you I am and, uh, you know, just so grateful for this wonderful healing work that you're doing out of pure love and wanting to be of service. Thank you for that. It's really beautiful. I appreciate you. <laughs> Thanks, Kia. Um, okay, so I know we've got to, we're going to wrap up here. Um, oh, I do have to just ask you, though, because I understand that among your other millions of other amazing things, you also were homeschooling your children, <laughs> like what on the side. And so now that we're in this, you're in this pandemic situation with a lot of people finding themselves having to homeschool and moms doing the four million jobs. Do you have any quick advice from parents that are trying to effectively homeschool? Yes. Um, well, actually, you have to find what works for your family. There's a lot of different styles of homeschooling, Montessori, Waldorf, classical, unschooling. Find what works for your family. And, and there's a lot of really great online programs. So if your kid will work independently and you can do that, where you can just sort of supervise that they're doing the work, 
then that is an absolutely, actually, that's my favorite way to go about homeschooling. I've tried a lot of ways. Um, my son is a freshman. I started homeschooling him midway through first grade. So I'm a kind of a veteran at this. We switched to online schooling um, curriculum. So I was, I, initially I created all the curriculums and I did all that work, but I had the time for it. I, did, I was a stay-at-home mom, as I said, but now I don't. So it's amazing to be able to find so many affordable programs that um, you can use um, online. For example, I use Power Homeschool, if anyone is interested in that. It's really cost-effective. I think it's like only $25 a month. And they, you can set everything up for your kid. You pick the courses, how long they're going to do it. You, it's very visible. You can, I can literally log in and see if he's doing his schoolwork when he's supposed to be doing it. If I'm in my office working, I can check in if he's supposed to be studying, seeing what he's accomplishing and, and, get grades and things like that for him as well. And then he can't move forward until he passes the test and everything is really well done. So I found that to be a godsend. And since I have been doing that for the last two years, um, we're set. So when the pandemic happened, I didn't bat an eye, but I did try to offer people advice. And that, and another thing, if you're a homeschooling parent and especially a working parent as well, um, try your best to steal some time for yourself. Even if it's just a few minutes, steal some time for yourself. And remember that it's not easy and you're doing the best that you can and just do your best. Don't um, judge yourself harshly and you know beat yourself up because you are doing the best you can. We all are gonna have those difficult moments in our homeschooling journeys, but it's really, really worth it because deep down we kind of know that, that our educational system could use a little sprucing up, <laughs> right? We'll just say nicely. And um, homeschooling is a really viable option for your kids to get a better quality education at not an exorbitant cost. So I've loved it, um, but it's, it's not right for every child. So keep that in mind as well. And um, that's my advice, but um, enjoy the journey. Just try to enjoy it. And they grow up so fast, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay, advice as an older, wiser woman that has been through a lot to the younger 20, 30 something year old listener. Okay. Oh girl, it's gonna be okay. <laughs> it's gonna be okay. You have the power to create the reality that you wanna be living in. All it takes is being able to think of what it is and be willing to put the action behind bringing it to life. Those two things, three I'll say, think it, visualize it and then take action on it. And just keep working that strategy until you are living the life that you wanna be living. Nothing is that bad, you can overcome it Okay, you just have to be willing to put in the work and do the hard things sometimes to get yourself into the reality that you want to be experiencing. So true, everybody. You need to listen to that. Take it from two women that have been experienced in the world of work and business and have accomplished things that you have just got to put in the work. And that means saying no to a lot of fun things and being the one that's working when others are not 
and it you know doing doing the stuff behind the scenes that is not glamorous and is not pretty that you never get it a credit or attention for or appreciation for but you're doing it because it's what you need to do because you are pursuing a dream and a type of life and you want to be a certain kind of person and it means just doing the work and not ever ever giving up kia do you have anything else to share with our audience? Any final words and uh, any last thoughts before you tell us about how we can find you? Well, I would say um, to, again, one more thing to those young women is it's not, it never feels like too much work if you love what you do. So if there's something that you're passionate about, figure out how to make money doing it and it'll never really feel like work, even though you're putting the time in. True. <laughs> that is true, my friend. Okay, Kia Baker, how can we find you, find out more about your podcast, and how can we help female veterans? Point us the way. Well, I am everywhere you can listen to podcasts, um, both Hot Topics Live and um, the Female Veterans Podcast are on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and Overcast and Radio Free Public and lots of platforms. You just look for it and you can find it. Um, I would say you can find me. I on Instagram mostly. I am on there as at Kiativity, that's K-I-A-tivity, like positivity. And um, on there, I write um, inspirational messages. I give success tips. I give tips on how to manifest a little bit more efficiently. And um, I will every now and again, pull some cards um, of guidance for people, which are soul truth cards, which just point you in a direction that you might need to go in if it resonates with your soul. So I do that for everybody as well. The message is for you if it resonates and it sometimes will help people on their journey, which I love to do. Um, and you can find Hot Topics, the podcast on Instagram as well um, at Hot Topics, the podcast. And if you're interested in finding out more about what that is, it is a show where I invite people, um, a lot of times my amazing students from around the globe who are doing incredible things with their entrepreneurs, CEOs, business people, thought leaders to get their insights and talk about their topic. And we stream live on Wednesdays and Thursdays to Facebook. Um, and it's me and a co-host and we just have a conversation. And so that's pretty fun. And so you can see me there and you can also type in questions or write messages to us live on the show and we'll include you. Um, and it's just a lot of fun and you can catch me on YouTube. Um, we're just new multi-streaming to Facebook and YouTube with Hot Topics Live. Um, and I think that's it. Oh, you can check out the femaleveteranspodcast.com uh, for more on the Female Veterans Podcast. Yes, wow, so many great resources. Kia Baker, thank you so very much for being on Awakening Aphrodite with Amy Fournier. It has been truly an honor to have you on the show and share your wisdom. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, everybody, you know what to do. If you enjoy the show, please go ahead and subscribe. Give it a five-star review. And if you would take a moment to write what you think about the show, how you feel about the show, and maybe how it helped you, I would so appreciate you to write a review. Thank you all so much. Please check out Kia and her amazing 
podcasts and resources and Instagram and all her other inspirational outlets. And I already can't wait to be with you again. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.